Welcome to the fifth episode of Rain Race. Today we're going to be recapping the past weekend's IndyCar race at St. Petersburg. We're going to be discussing some other IndyCar news that came out this week. We're going to be talking about how we were wrong about the GTE manufacturer possibilities. And lastly, we're going to round it all off with some Sebring 12-hour predictions. I'm Chris Aurelio. This is Rain Race. Let's go. I'm joined here alongside the usual co-host of this program, Mr. Kyle Cuthbertson. What's up? It's actually just us two this yeah. episode. Yeah, I know. I was like just about to say, time. because for the past two episodes, we've had an IMSA driver, a random-ass friend, another random-ass friend. Well, maybe a little bit less. He's, not, he's, not, he's not as random. Yeah. He's YouTube famous. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> back to the... Uh, the original duo, I guess, which is actually kind of nice because it just means um, less Kevin talking. I have to edit out. What? Oh, oh man. All right. Well, we had. Um, all right. So this is being filmed currently at 9 p.m. A little bit after 9 p.m. on Sunday, uh, which is the day before this is going up. Um, so that means that the IndyCar race at St. Pete already happened. So that's great because we can talk about it. Um, yeah, there's a lot of IndyCar stuff that just kind of dropped this week. So let's just start with St. Pete. Why don't we? Because, uh, yeah, my God. <laughs> it, <laughs> there's a lot to talk about. It started in practice another. one, really. Really, just everything throughout the weekend. It's just, there's a lot to talk about. Man, this weekend. What a start for IndyCar, I have to say. Man. You know, practice one, we're going into the first practice. It's going to be like a Penske driver up front, willpower, whoop-de-doo. No, it was Mateus Leist for A.J. Foyt. Um, yeah, even though that was a practice session, you see Mateus Leist on the first, on first in the first ever session with the UAK-18, and you see Mateus Leist, that's, even though it's just practice, that is, <laughs> that was crazy to see. Yeah, and then you think, oh, okay, well, that's just practice one, all right? Nobody's showing their all, right? All right, fair enough. All right, you got to practice too. It's a little bit more like traditional Hunter Ray up front. Um, Even Hunter Ray up front is something we haven't seen in a long yeah, time. I, yeah, that's true. Um, but really, when we jumped into qualification, we're like, all right, this is where we're going to see the big guns coming out here. All right, so, you know, you got the group qualifying. Not a fan of it, but I'm not going to go into that right now. Um, group one, Jordan King goes on pole with a track record setting lap. The track Actually, record still to, right, is still the track record. So yeah. when we go back to St. Pete, you just got to keep in mind that Jordan freaking King. As a track record. Yeah, 1 minute .047. So that beat out Power's 2016 track record by two tenths, I think. No, it wasn't even, was it even two tenths? I don't remember. No, I think it was two hundredths, actually, but whatever. Regardless of the point, track record for the um, for the new Aero kit, which kind of throws exactly what I said in the episode uh, previous to this one right out the window, where I said I don't expect any records to be beaten at St. Pete. I was wrong. And then you had, um, you know, round two, Robert Wickens up front. He's going to be a name we talk about a lot. Uh, and then finally, round three, Robert Wickens again up front. He's on the pole for the race. Um, and actually, like, you'd expect uh, pretty much a lot of the rookies who were up front in some of the practice sessions and qualifying, a lot of them kind of felt the... Um, I guess the bite of a race where you have to be consistent over so much time because we had lice go out of the race. Um, yeah, you know, he had a couple issues though. He had the uh, transmission failure where he was stuck in third gear on top of that. So he was in the pits and I don't know how, I don't know what happened where he went into the wall. I think he just caught a bunch of understeer, which was his fault, but he, he was up front until he had his issues with I the think, transmission. 
The general consensus I'm trying to get here, though, is that pretty much every rookie who we saw yeah. up front in practice and qualifying, with the exception of Wiggins, um, pretty much just didn't show that pace in the race quite as much. They kind of just dropped back and became sort of midfield teams. Um, it says a lot about Wiggins, too. Yeah, I know. I'm going to have to pull this up on Instagram, but he led like something like 60... 50, 50 60 laps, something like that. Yeah, uh, yeah, 69 out of 110 laps. Um for a rookie in his lives. first race, don't even make a joke. Um, <laughs> first race leads 69 laps and is leading on the final restart. Um, holy crap. Just <laughs> because I seem to remember you in the last episode hey, saying yeah. that he would I was going to bring that up. He would Let, be like just a, go back to literally last episode where I said Schmidt, Schmidt Peters in racing, they have all their new engineers, a brand new driver, and a rookie. Yeah, he's experienced, but. I'm not expecting him to do, do anything, but I, mean, I don't think he's going to do that much in the first few races. Maybe mid-season he'll catch up to pace. No, first race he puts it on pole and leaves the most laps. My word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, the whole race had uh, quite a bit of action. The first, I'd say, third of it was pretty much just marred with yellows. Wasn't a big yeah. fan of that section, but I guess that's the result of a I speed mean, circuit for starters, I mean, and then everybody pretty much just learning how the new car races. I mean, there are a lot of guys being really way too aggressive too, on top of learning the kit. Yeah. Because like you're trying to learn, you're trying to learn how the new kit races and get into the get into the feel of it. And these guys are, they were way too aggressive. Like when you're still trying to learn, they were being way too aggressive. We lost uh, Leist. I think Leist was the only guy who uh, DNF'd. But um, well, he wasn't the only guy. In, but in the first party was, and then like Kanan spun. Uh, Dixon uh, kamikaze Sato. Sato got kamikaze for once. Kind of interesting. Um, uh, Dixon actually had two penalties this race and still managed to finish sixth. I don't know how that happened, but that happened. Um, and he wrecked. <laughs> and Jack he plowed Har- into yeah, the back of Sato. He, yeah, he kamikaze Sato. Um, Jack Harvey blew a tire and probably the scariest part to blow a tire before turn 17. And he DNF'd, I think. Yeah, he DNF'd. Um... I think that were those all the incident. Oh yeah, and then Ray Hall locked up the rear brakes in the turn one and mashed into Piggott. Um, that was great. Uh, what else happened? Power wrecked on the first lap in turn two. He uh, caught a bunch of understeer into that right hander and kind of, kind of just spun himself off the side of Wickens. And uh, yeah, I think that covers all of the all of the wrecks in the beginning of the part of the race. Yeah, and then. You had a, a pretty long green uh, flag run, which was interesting as well because you had a bunch of different alternate strategies. You had drivers like Wickens. He was on his own, or he was pretty much on the general strategy, I'd say, in quotes. Yeah. But um, you had drivers like Ray Hall and Bourdais who were on a more conservative, not more conservative, they were on a more... What, what? They, they were on uh, a fuel-saving strategy is pretty much what yeah, I'm trying to go for here. Yeah, Because... Uh, Bourdais had a cut tire in the beginning of the race, like way in the beginning, probably like lap five, eight, something like that. So they had to come in and pit. And then when Ray Hall got into his thing with Piggott, him, Ray Hall pitted on that caution that he started, I guess. And Bourdais pitted with him at the same time. So they kind of sat in the back and realized, hey, if we get enough yellow, which there was obviously, hey, if we get enough yellow, we can stretch this out and only do what they do two more stops after that one yellow. So I think there were some guys doing four stops. I think Wickens was doing four. He was doing four or three. But um, 
whatever happened, Bourdais and Rahal ended up doing effectively from the point of the yellow to the bender yellow. They did one less stop than the other guys. So that's how they kind of filed their way to the front. Kind of amazing, actually, but it, that was a cool part to watch. Uh, you start out with all those yellows, and then you kind of get into a long green flag run, and then Rene Bender wrecked with, like, eight to go. Rene Bender, the god that I've been praising. Rene Bender, <laughs> uh, he wrecks, and we get a restart with uh, oof, five to go, maybe? Five. So. And then Chilton. And then and then Chilton spun, put the thing in reverse, didn't grab the clutch soon enough, installed the thing. Like, well, I don't even know how that happens. How do you stall that after reversing? But anyways, he stalled the car, and it was the quickest yellow I think we've ever seen. He stalled the car, they got to start it up, and they did one caution lap until they restarted. And, and here's basically the breakdown of this two-to-go restart that everyone's talking about. And if you haven't seen the race, you're living under a rock. If you don't know what we're talking about with the wreck, you're living under a rock. You, I don't know why Just you're watching Spoiler this. alert. All but, right, turn off this if you don't want to know what happens. <laughs> yeah, basically. Um, but um, the breakdown is, from Wiccan's standpoint, the caution, the pace car never turned off the lights to say that they were going on that lap. So Wickens, he never knew that they were going to go on that lap in the first place. Um, apparently, there's a rule on restarts where you're not allowed to use push-to-pass on restarts. Apparently, because it happened so quick, they they allowed him to use it. I I think it's some sort of rule where they, they... I think they actually turn it off. I don't know how that works. But they're not allowed to use it on restarts. But apparently, they were. And Wickens never got that memo. And he didn't get on the push pass till late in the turn, like late on the front straightaway, which is why Rossi got such a big run is because push to pass. So Rossi gets a huge run. Um, it was a little late, and from Rossi going to Rossi's standpoint, for Wickens to Rossi now, from Rossi's standpoint, he went up the inside, and Wickens took a defensive line, which rightly so. That's just in his own words. He said rightly so, which. That inside line that wasn't isn't the racing line. There's you know all the marbles and debris down there and stuff that'll make it quite slick. And the paint of the uh, runway didn't help. And so he tried to run up the, the inside of Wickens, who was running his defensive line. Um, just didn't have the grip. Um, I don't think he exactly locked him up, but he he held a whole lot of speed in turn one. Yeah, the back uh, end kind of just slipped out. Yeah, he it was really similar to the Dixon and Rahal cra- um, crashes. They just lost rear end grip and just had they were basically a passenger so i mean i don't put all the blame on rossi i it it really was a racing incident but it's still rossi's fault it's that's the that's really the bottom line though um so obviously rossi goes into wickens and uh, rossi yeah rossi basically said that it was wickens fault didn't say oh man that was all his fault he did that to me but and Wickens, he thought he was taking his defensive line. He didn't think Rossi was actually going to make that move. Um, Rossi was going for the win. Um, these two guys, they obviously they have differing opinions, obviously. Rossi thought Wickens too, too far of a defensive line and put him to the marbles, which caused it. Wickens thought he wouldn't make a bonehead move like that in that spot, which honestly, I think if Rossi would have waited, if he would have stayed right behind him, got it, like, I thought his only goal on this restart 
would be to just stay as close to Wiccans as possible because turn four is a better spot to pass than turn one, honestly. And in turn one, all day, we saw the two instances before with Ray Hall and Dixon, like I said. They just lost all grip. So I didn't think he was going to make that move either. And then he made it. Wiccans goes around. Rossi runs wide. He saved it. And what do you know? Bourdais and Ray Hall go by, and there's a full-course yellow. So uh, Bourdais, he even said he wouldn't have bet on himself, and he ends up winning the race. And Ray Hall goes from last to second with a car that he probably should have finished 15th in. Um, so it's a pretty crazy day. It really was a pretty crazy day. <laughs> My biggest question at the end, and it's a question that some other people are asking as well, actually quite a few people are asking this, is why Rossi didn't get penalized for a similar incident that Dixon did get penalized for. Yeah. Um, actually, I guess Ray Hall. Yeah, same with Ray Hall. As well, yeah. I mean... That's IndyCar's race control is all I can say is that they're not usually the most consistent people in the business. Uh, I don't think it's an excuse. I don't think it's a valid excuse. I think he should have been penalized for it. But that's that's IndyCar's race control is all I can say because they've proven in the past that they're not the most consistent people. So I don't know. That's that's the only answer I can honestly give. A lot of what I've been seeing is, you know, everyone's like, why didn't Rossi get penalized? Everyone's just been saying, oh, it was a racing incident. Well, yeah, it was a racing incident, but if you don't penalize the guy, you're basically telling him that if you make an unforced error and you hit a guy and you spin out the leader, and then you can still get a podium for it. Like, I don't think there's a reason that Rossi uh, spun out Wickens and then still gets the podium. I don't, I don't see how that's right. I don't, that I don't like that. Uh, even if it's a racing incident and it, Rossi didn't do it intentionally, I, I still think that's penalizable. I, just because he didn't mean to doesn't mean it's not a penalty. So I, he should have been penalized. That's, that's another big thing in this. Overall, the key takeaway for me from that race was just seeing a small team like Dale Coyne and Sebastian Bourdais taking home the victory for two years in a row at that track. And honestly, kind of contradicting what I said in the, uh, in the previous episode, I uh, now possibly see great things for them this season, so we'll have to see what happens. Yeah, I mean, that, that pretty much does it for the race summary, though. It was uh, it was an exciting race, and that brings me on to uh, the next topic, which is the new cars, because we made our sort of predictions on how they'd handle the new racing conditions in the last episode, and we saw in this episode that... The, how many passes were there? Like 350 or something? Oh, yeah, 300-something. They broke the record. So, I mean, I think that... They've already set the bar pretty high for race one. Whether that's a good thing or a bad thing leading into the next race, we'll see. Because, uh, you know, once you set a high performance like that, you're gonna have to, you're gonna have people watching for the next one to see if you can top it. Yeah. But overall, I think race one with a new package, they've proven that it's pretty much a success. They set the bar really high with race number one. Is what I've been kind of preaching this afternoon. Um, I think the biggest thing about the racing. Uh, David pointed this out on Twitter, is that they, is, they can get around lap cars better. And that, that seemed to always be the problem, is when the leader got far enough out and catch the lap cars, they would just get stuck behind them in the dirty air and couldn't pass. So I think that's a better note. We watched we watched the big packs in the beginning, before, before the faster guys started running away. We saw in the big packs, they could actually run really close to each other, and it didn't seem to bother them. It was really fun watching in the end of the race. Um, because before the yellow with Rene Bender, 
Rossi was catching Wickens. He was the faster car. They were both really fast cars, but Rossi he obviously looked like he had the upper hand in the end of the race, and he was probably going to make a challenge, and it's 12 laps to go, and we're probably going to get this dogfight for the finish. It's going to be so good. And then in the turn three, with like, what, 12 to go, I said, well, Rossi locked up the brakes, and then I kind of went too far, but before then, Rossi said that he was waiting. So he kind of knew that Rossi was just kind of sitting behind Wickens, and then you kind of see where he wants to pounce, and he locks up the brakes. And then after that, Rossi was trying to make a bigger run at Wickens because he just lost so much time. And you could see it out of the corners. He was spinning the tires, catching the car everywhere. So it was really cool to see these cars all over the place, is basically what I'm trying to say. I think in that so you back made section, that simple statement take two minutes of explanation is what you're saying. Yeah. Well, if I would have said it right, it would have went out, came out better. <laughs> because before then, Rossi said, I'm, I'm waiting. So he, you could tell that he wasn't using up all his car. And then when he started to use up his car, he was spinning the tires, catching the car out of the corners. That back section for the long straightaway in turn 10, he was <laughs> dead sideways sometimes. And man, and trying to put the power down out of the last corner before the front straight. Man, I think I saw a bunch of cars spinning the tires. It's not normally. It's not something we've seen since. I don't even saw that with the DW12 kits. Like it, it's definitely cool to watch these cars drive. <laughs> Remember at the beginning of this, before we started recording, when I said, "Please don't start rambling." I'm not even going to edit that out because I want to see people the the absolute garbage I have to deal with when I'm editing, and you just go <laughs> off on a tangent, and you're like, "Oh, that, what I'm trying to say is that it was this," and it was like, and I'm like, "Well, that's good, but you could have said that in five words, not five minutes." This is why we so, need scripts. Well, this is why you need to stop rambling. So. <laughs> Well, if I would have said it right, it would have been a lot shorter and sweeter. So, if I can rewind this whole thing five minutes when I said I think it proves how well the uh, the racing can be with a new package, the thing I want to preach most now is get rid of push to pass, because I said if the racing yeah. is good and the passing is good, then just get rid of push to pass, because it's the only artificial element I see in IndyCar right now, besides double points, but uh, you know, it's a topic for another day. Um, yeah, just start a campaign, hashtag get rid of P2P. Start it. <laughs> Please, we'll make another T-shirt. I think after watching this race, I can agree. Bush to pass, it's not needed. Right, all right. Um, so that's pretty much St. Pete all wrapped up. But there was uh, some you know, there's some more news coming out this week in terms of Indy 500 entries. I think we're just going to start with the more predictable one, which is Connor Daly. Um, yeah, Dale Coyne with uh, Tom Burns or whatever. What's a? It's Tom. I think they say it as Tom Burns, but it's T H O M. So, yeah. but I think they say it as Tom. So I'm just gonna put my hands up and say, I think, you know, yeah, I think so. Whatever you want it to be, yeah, <laughs> whatever. Um, that's kind of the more predictable entry. I think quite a few people who follow the sport closely saw that coming from a mile away. Especially um, since David said it on the podcast, I believe, like last episode. Well, yeah, he said it, and then even before that, there are people on Reddit who are saying yeah. it's going to be David. I didn't. Because... I didn't think that the U.S. Air Force sponsored. Like David was the one yeah, that told that, me about that. That kind of came out of nowhere. Though. U.S. Air Force. That's so really that's a cool, good looking though. livery. So, but uh, yeah, that'll be nice to see on track. And then the, not the one that came out of nowhere, but a certain aspect of it that came out of nowhere was yeah. Oriel Servia, um, coming back with Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan. Uh, but on top of that, they're going to be in a partnership with Scuderia Corso, which is an IMSA GTD Ferrari team. 
So yeah, that, that kind of came out of nowhere. Uh, that, nobody was yeah. expecting that one, but I guess it's uh, cool for sports car guys like me to see familiar names hitting up the Indy 500 in May. You have them. You also have Mike Shank, who's another IMSA GTD team. So yeah, that'll be an interesting one. It really is. Scooter, of course, so that came out of nowhere. And I was expecting like a, a red livery. It was like, oh, they're not, that's right. They're not like Ferrari. Like they're not like Ferrari manufacturer. They just run for us. So I was like, man, this livery is going to be like red Ferrari. No, it's just a rail yellow livery. But he's going to be the number 64, which is interesting. Not the usual 16, which is, I don't know why Patrick is the number 13 now. So I'm trying to think you might have a number on this. So the confirmed entries we have now, not like no speculation, but just like straight up confirmed. How many confirmed entries do you know that well, we have for the 500? It's over 34 now. I think it's 35. Uh, All right. 34, like confirmed. I think really it's 34 because Buddy Lazier isn't confirmed until he's there. I'll just say 34. I think we have 35. And then all we need is Harding Racing to actually put in a new entry. So, And then we'll have 36, which is David's prediction, which honestly, I want to see 36 for him today, but I want to, I kind of want to tell David he was wrong. So we'll see. <laughs> oh, so important telling David he was wrong about open wheel. Well, he put out a video that there were 36 entries, so he just probably bamboozle a lot of people if there's 35 <laughs> i honestly i actually realized we haven't even been recording for that long but yeah i guess we're talking about what we want to faster than we expected because moving off of indycar and onto sports cars if you watched the last episode uh another continuation of what we were wrong about was the <laughs> possibility of a new gte manufacturer um, wrong there were um speculations of mclaren and Toyota to be shown at Geneva, and both of them did show new cars at Geneva. It's just neither right. one was quite a GTE car. The McLaren was the McLaren Senna GTR, I think that's what it's called, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, which is similar to the P1 GTR. It's just a, you know, a, a tracked out version of their already tracked out didn't, version hypercar so then they say that the gtr was like they it could run if it wanted to but it's not like what i thought um, i heard that like it was illegal to run in it but it, that's not i i think that the the um engine size the engine displacement is right on the borderline for gt regulation so that's allowed uh i think people were saying that if it, it, it could have the chance of evolving into a gte car but at this point, honestly, I don't even see that happening because I think yeah, that I once you it, get but... a few years into the production line of the car, which is already extremely limited, I don't see McLaren using the Senna to promote um, their brand and GTE. But now, at this point, it was either going to be then or never. And obviously, when we're getting out of there with the tracked out version of the car, I don't think it's going to be ever at this point. Uh, but then Toyota as well. They showed up with the Supra race concept, whatever they want to call it. And it's not going to be sold to customers like the McLaren. At least they have no plans on it right now. And the thing that's like the hardest hit to my head is that it's a GTE spec car. So yeah, most of the parts are GTE regulation. And they really probably wouldn't have any big issues entering in GTE. But Toyota said that they have no intentions on entering in GTE at the moment. I was keen to pointing that out on Twitter before I got called out by David, who said that it was complete BS and that they were going to enter in GTE. And I mean, I don't really uh, try to go off complete speculation on this podcast, so I don't know. Is it a possibility that we see Toyota and GT in the future? 
uh, more so than McLaren. Yes, I'd say so. But I still don't know. It's going to all depend on the outcome of their LMP1 program, which won't be known really for another year and a half now, I'd say, because the super season lasts until June 2019. Yeah, June 2019. Yeah, I don't really see them making a decision on that car either. And by the time that they would be in a position to make a decision about it, I feel like it's going to be too late. So what are you going to do? We're not giving ourselves a good reputation because every speculation we made in the last episode was all proven wrong. So pretty much the last thing to go over today uh, on the week five, I think this is the fifth episode. Yeah, fifth episode agenda is uh, Sebring predictions because the Sebring 12-hour is on Saturday. (laughs) Uh, This coming up Saturday if you're watching it when it comes out. Um, I honestly forgot that we make predictions until Kyle brought it up. So, because I put him on the spot for Daytona, I'm going to put myself on the spot for this one. Thank you. Oh, boy. Prototype. I hope David's listening because then I can pick like a Cadillac again. It'll be like, oh, you're just picking the obvious one. Yeah. Oh, wait. Hold on. Can I point this out? He said that you picked Action Express and it was way too easy. And then. I don't care. They won. I was right. You were wrong. And then he picked Scott Dixon for the IndyCar Championship. That's too easy. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, prototype. Um, I want to go for like an underdog on this one, but it's tough off the hook here. I don't know why I'm going with it, but I'm just going with a gut instinct on this one. The 22 ESM Nismo. That's weird. Yeah, it is random. But uh, <laughs> they've won Sebring before in a completely different car. And a completely different engine. Uh, but, I don't know. It's easy to say that a Cadillac would win. But I, there's just something at me just tugging saying that it'll be an ESM win. So, I, I'm just going to have to say that. I'll probably be wrong, to be honest. But, you got to go with your gut instinct. Uh, GTLM. Well, I was wrong last time. Because I said a Corvette would win. And then, they just did So... I noticed a trend where if I keep picking a car, they won't win. No, that's not right because I picked the prototype winner correct. Whatever. You know what? I am going to pick Ford on this one. I'm going to say the 66. 66. Yeah, favorite car, but you know it. I'm going to pull a Kyle on this one. Uh, If you look at the finish last year, look at the whole race last year, they pretty much had that one um sorted out up until the end when the temperatures went down and uh, the car just didn't run as well at night but they have a uh, pretty stellar driver lineup um experience one joey hand Dirk miller they know what they're doing around sebring they've been doing it for god knows how long now and you have um fresh off the press indycar winner sebastian bourdais hanging around in florida um well of course because he lives there but Hanging around in Florida <laughs> to do uh, to do the Sebring 12 Hours next weekend. So yeah, 66 car. I think they're going to go back with Retribution. Uh, GTD, you know who I'm going to pick on this one? Provided that they don't get slammed take with a time. penalty. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to take my time. I'm going to put you on the spot. Land well, Motorsport. Land Motorsport. All right. Because look at their Daytona performance. Even if you say, oh, they were cheating, which... I don't think they were. I think they found a loop in the rule ho- in the loop in the rule book, which is, <laughs> you know, that's what people have been doing ever since racing was conceived. But apparently, Imsa doesn't interpret it that way. Anyway, uh, back to 
why I think they'll win, though. Again, strong driver lineup. They know what they're doing. Retribution from Daytona. What can I say? That's my pick for GTD. Kyle, you're on the spot. Prototype pick ASAP. Well, there's not a uh, spot. There's not an entry list even for Abraham. Well, there's find. not too many prototype so options. That's, that's, so just that's terrible. <laughs> well, I had my prototype. I'm gonna pick the. Uh, uh, what are they called now? Kind uh, of Spirited Daytona, right? Right. It's not really their name, is it? Correct. Right? No. Well, yeah, it okay. is. Because before they were like the Visit Florida team, and now they're yeah, not. They so I was that, wondering. So. But yeah. Okay, but I'm gonna pick them because I feel like I'll just pick them until they actually win. So. Picked them for Daytona, I think, didn't I? Yeah, I did. Yep. So, and then GTLM, um, huh, who was good at Daytona that I didn't, I don't want to pick the Corvettes because it's too easy, and I want to pick, let's just go with the 911 Porsche, because I don't want to be the guy that picks the Corvette for every round, so I just got to have that one different round, and I don't want to pick the Fords because that's a sin, and I don't want to pick the BMWs because they're still, they still have a new car, so it's just got to be a Porsche, um, GTD, I don't know. <laughs> what? Um, just pick the, Shank and call it a day. Yeah, uh, no. Uh, the Riley Motorsports. Riley is it Riley Motorsports? But yeah, the Mercedes. The Merc. Yeah, that team. That team. I pick them because they're like the they're like the guys next to Land that I feel like could beat Land. So anyway, that's gonna wrap it up for this episode. I hope you all enjoyed it. Uh, we'll be back. Next week, possibly, depends on how much news comes out. If not, we'll be back in two weeks. Uh, maybe with another special in two weeks. I don't know. No details are set in stone yet, but keep an eye on that. Subscribe to the channel. If you're curious what we're talking about, uh, leave a like if you liked the episode. If you're watching on YouTube, if you're watching or listening on Apple Podcasts or Google Play, you can subscribe there as well so you keep all the future episodes in your subscription feed. We're just going to end it, my dudes.